I said I saw the child inside John that he experienced Star Wars. I sit there with Peyton. You see your crew just staring at Mark and you realize they're remembering what it meant to them. And you realize that you've been a part of constructing something that's giving that experience to people. This good feeling, which fundamentally Star Wars should deliver a good feeling, an uplifting feeling in you and your family, your kids, whatever. Once again, Bucketheads, Mevar Tigar, welcome to the 85th Quinlan Voss Vindicating episode of MandoVision, Nargai Tom, and thank you so much for checking out this small, independent Star Wars podcast. Remember, the best way to reach out to us is via social media at Mando underscore Vision on Twitter and Instagram. You can email the show, MandoVisionTom at gmail.com. Please be sure to like, subscribe, share this show with all the other Mandalorians in your covert. And hey, if you're listening, why not make sure you're liking, subscribing, and sharing the show with all your other Mandalorians that you want to spread the word to. Good lord. <laughs> Off to a rocky start. Rocky, rocky start. But that's okay. We're here. We're having fun. And that's all that really matters. We have an exciting episode today. Again, we're kind of feeling the void of Bad Batch Fridays being done for the time being. Uh, and, and, yeah, we got some stuff to talk about. Some exciting things have happened. Some exciting things have occurred in the world of Star Wars. And we're going to talk a little bit about those things. But the main emphasis for today's episode is going to be Jedi Knight Quinlan Voss. Jedi Master Quinlan Voss at some point, too. Spoilers, he gets a promotion. Uh, Quinlan is a Jedi Knight that I am a really big fan of. He hasn't quite gotten his due in the, in the main canon, necessarily. You know, he gets a reference. He's referred to in Episode 3. And they recently did the, the Dark Disciple novelization that was supposed to be a big arc of episodes of Star Wars The Clone Wars back in Season 6 before the show uh, was unceremoniously canceled by Disney after they acquired Lucasfilm. So those got scrapped, but eventually they sort of distilled those episodes into the Dark Disciple novelization. And it sort of... I just recently read it for the first time. I'm, I'm catching up on a lot of my Star Wars books right now. You know, I had to put a lot of those things... A lot of those Star Wars books, unfortunately, got put to the side while I was finishing uh, my time at San Diego State University. Now I'm getting to catch up on all the Star Wars books that I missed out on uh, when I was back in school. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm catching up on some things. Maybe you're like, yeah, you know, we know about Dark Disciple. Come on. But I'm going to talk about Quinlan Voss, and we're going to talk about... We're going we're gonna to do that thing where we compare and contrast the canon versus the Legends part of the universe, because this is a character that really thrived in the Legends universe. And so much so that he came to George Lucas's attention, and they decided to make a reference to him in Episode 3. And then, when they decided to do Star Wars The Clone Wars, they spent even more time with him. Excuse me for a second. I want to give a piece of podcasting advice to anyone out there who's thinking of doing a professional podcast. Uh, before you start your show, do not, whatever you do, do not shove like a handful of crackers into your mouth before you start your show. 
I'm choking to death right now. It's kind of like it's sort of it's sort of what I imagine it would feel like when Vader is using the Force on you. You're like I feel like I feel like um, like you know, any Imperial officer around Vader at that time. You know, you don't want to mess around with them. You don't want to be the next Admiral to get choked out via via the Force. You don't want to be the next Admiral Oslo. You don't want to be Captain Nita. No dice. No dice. All right, so let's get into our show proper. We are we do have something else to talk about first and foremost. We will be getting into uh, Star Wars. Actually, I should say Disney Gallery, Star Wars The Mandalorian, the making of the Season 2 finale that uh, dropped on the streaming platform just the other day. And uh, everyone quickly rushed to the internet to spoil the holy heck out of it. So I hope you've had a chance to watch it. We will be talking not in, in, in any... any uh, overwhelming depth about it just kind of like a like a broad sense of some of the some of the nice things they say some of the fun things they talk about and reasons why you should check it out if you haven't watched it already uh but then yeah we're going to talk about quinlan so you know what that means you know what it's time for strap on your buckets let's go apology accepted Captain Nida. All right, buckets are firmly in place, so let's talk about it. Uh, Disney Gallery, The Mandalorian, the making of the season two finale. Again, I hope you've all watched this by now, but I know not, not everyone's kind of into this uh, documentary series that, that Disney Plus has been doing for the show, even though I find it quite enjoyable. Uh, I do understand uh, the people who maybe don't want don't to kind of break the magic of, of The Mandalorian, of Star Wars, and kind of getting that look behind the scenes at it. The way the sausage is made, if you will forgive the the metaphor there, you know sometimes it is a little distracting to kind of see like oh if they're just on a stage or they're on a set I want to pretend like this is real, <laughs> and you know maybe you don't you don't break it down to those rudimentary terms but I understand I understand the appeal but I'm so uh, intrigued by the process you know knowing uh, uh, how they brought this all to life how they put it all together I've really enjoyed the series very very much you know and I think I mentioned it again on the on the podcast. Star Wars is the first time that I paid attention to who wrote these stories, who directed these movies. You know, I you know George Lucas was one of the first Hollywood people whose names were like seared into my brain. It's like I want to know who that dude is, you know, and how he came up with Star Wars and how he made all this happen. And that was when I was still at a fairly young point. And I was like, yeah, lightsabers are real. Why I why can't I get one when I turn twenty one or whatever? It, it, it so I guess I've always sort of had that interest, and I, I like being able to see how this technology is employed, all the links they went to uh, to to get a, a Luke Skywalker that we hadn't seen before. I mean, this is after Return of the Jedi, and long before he would pop up again at the tail end of uh, of The Force Awakens. So it's it's a Luke who's different. And the links they went to to kind of get it right, you know, having the, the body double, having Mark Hamill come in, the different process for the, the de-aging and the deep fakes and, and, uh, and all these different things they were doing... Uh, I, I found it all very, very interesting. The the links they went to to keep it secret, the uh, the use of Plo Koon as sort of like a decoy red herring to throw people off the scent if they were to even ferret that out, you know. So like the, the I, I I like all that secrecy because I have talked about it probably more so on uh, my other podcast, the Tomcast podcasts. I don't care for spoilers. I try very, very hard to avoid spoilers. I when I when I see movies or TV shows or, or whatever's coming on, I don't want to have read about it first. That For me, that takes a lot of enjoyment out of it. 
I like the surprise element of things, you know, and again, going back to my youth and back to, to Star Wars, you know, when you're a little kid, or when I was a little kid, watching The Empire Strikes Back, and you get the, the mind-shattering revelation that Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father, and then, like, you're like, is that true? Is that true? Is he lying? And you you have to ponder these things. It's 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 one of the reasons why I, I enjoy the movies and TV and, and just storytelling in general so much. I love that drama, that suspense, that mystery, that not knowing what the next page, what the next scene, you know, has for you. So I am not a spoiler person at all. I really, really, really try hard to avoid them. Even trailers can be a touch too much. Though Marvel and Disney have gotten a little bit better about you know, red herrings in their trailers uh, and including scenes that don't actually end up in the final cut. And that could be... Uh, some people are upset by that because they find it misle- misleading. You know, bait and switch is often a term uh, thrown around a lot of the times nowadays. Uh, I don't, I don't, I'm fine with it. I want to watch that movie or show and have a whole new experience and not know what's coming next. So I, lo- I love the, the links they went to. Uh, hearing from the creative people involved is always a joy. It's always great to hear from Dave Filoni. It's always great to hear from Favreau on this show. And this time around, talking about season two, Favreau seems to have like a, like a better understanding of the fandom and of, of the, the, the sort of uh, universal love that people have for the show and that, that these, these big swings they're taking are not only paying off, but I mean, they're, they're completely landing with the fans. And, and so it's great to hear Favreau talk about these things in a little bit of a less guarded manner than I think he was in season one where, you know, it sort of felt like a, a I don't know. I don't think he, he felt, I don't think he was like on the defensive by any means, but he just seems to have embraced all of the accolades now at this point. And, and they, they know they have something special going on and he's just kind of leaning into it. The, the, we get to see a little bit more of the collaborative process between Filoni and Favreau, which is wonderful. I really like the inclusion of Peyton Reed, uh, Peyton Reed, who, who uh, directs the season finale. And he talks, I think he talks rather elegantly about everything involved, his emotional reaction to reading the script, to, to uh, then being able to process, like trying to process, like, oh my God, like, we have to do this now. We have to make this work and we have to make this, you know, work in a way that the fans are going to think is convincing. And, and, and so I really enjoyed this special. I think it's definitely worth watching. It's like 40-ish minutes or so. Uh, we used that great clip from Filoni at the beginning of this episode of the podcast. That one's been circulating for about a week or so. So I think most people had seen it at this point if they hadn't already heard it. So I, I loved including that in this week's episode. But I think my favorite little moment of, of the episode is is when they talk about, you know, they're, 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 Filoni and Favreau are, are sort of plotting out the Luke Skywalker moment, the scene, the reveal, the whole thing. And, and Filoni mentions to Favreau, well, you you get Luke, you get R two, and and Favreau sort of pauses, and you get sort of this this um this backstory about how Favreau just absolutely loves, love love loves R two D two, and it talks about him seeing R two D two on the set, and how it sort of took him back to his childhood and kind of reconnected him with his fandom in a way that that uh, he hadn't had to that point with the show. It's one of my favorite moments of the show because I've had that moment myself several times. Over over the course of my Star Wars love, I mean, I remember it, it, it's a silly story. It's it wasn't even like an official Lucasfilm sponsored thing. It was just, uh, you know, like the, a, a faction of the Star Wars fandom showed up at the opening night of Rogue One, and they brought their R two unit with them, and he was awesome. And I paused and was like, "Oh, I'm taking a picture with R two D two because that thing is legit. 
and it's so cool. And that's happened a couple of different times for me as a fan. I mean, even uh, being at Disneyland and getting my picture taken with Chewbacca was just like, just blown. The, the Death Star in my brain exploded. <laughs> there was no ray shielding on my uh, my thermal ventilation shaft. It was no good. It was all gone. Thermal exhaust port. I know I said it wrong. I apologize. Apologies. Apologies. Don't get. Don't come after me for that. I was just so excited. I slipped. <laughs> so, I I recommend checking it out. It's a really fun little watch. If you're if you're into the technology, if you're into understanding what the, all the links they had to go to to make that finale happen, uh, I think you really really enjoy it. I think I would have liked. The only thing I think I would have liked a little bit more is if they had had uh, sat down with with uh, Pedro Pascal or Katie Sackhoff or, or Ming-Na Wen or any of the actors that were in, in that final scene about, you know, what it was like for them to experience it and to be part of this big giant secret, uh, especially in this day of, of social media. And, and, you know, one little person who's working on, the, on this process, uh, you know, uh, Mark Hamill talks about it in depth. Yeah, all it takes is one person in a lab doing color corrections to be like, hey, you know what I saw today on their social media account? And then it's over. It's over. And it could have all been ruined for us. Uh, but by by incredible happenstance or or you know miracles if you want to, if you believe in the divine, we got to experience Luke Skywalker's re- reveal. I, I would I would say very much. Um, oh, oh, we, we we experienced it in the moment. We lived that moment and we, we saw it fresh. And um, it, it's funny at the beginning of the of the of the of the show of the of the special, Favreau talks about. What he, he describes my exact feeling. It's like, they're showing me all the things that are Luke. They're showing me the gloved hand. They're showing me the green lightsaber. You see the belt buckle, the hooded look, the black, very, very Return of the Jedi look. And it's like, all the clues are there that it's Luke. But that mystery is like, no. Did they? What? No. I, I relive that moment because I still have an extremely emotional reaction when I watch the season two finale of the Mandalorian. I still weep at it. Uh, not just the Luke Skywalker r- reveal. The whole episode has got this amazing emotional core to it. And the by the end of it, I'm a, I'm a blubbering, useless pile of goo on a couch with a blanket and two wiener dogs in my lap. So, <laughs> and, and for, for Favreau to be able to, be, to make, take me back to that moment because he knew exactly how I felt. <laughs> because he knew, he knew the doubts I was having. No, wait, what? It was great. It was really, really great. So I do strongly urge people to check it out. It's 40-something minutes. What else you got to do? We're looking for new Star Wars stuff to keep us busy. Watch it. Check it out. Enjoy it. Some other Star Wars news has come to light uh, during this past week is from uh, Tandaway Newton, who talked about her time on Star Wars Solo as as Val, the, the lover of Tobias Beckett, you know, who would become one of Han Solo's sort of mentor-like characters. And sort of like the... You know, ignominious ending that she receives in the film, uh, and how that wasn't supposed to be the case. Uh, but apparently, her escape scene was too complicated to shoot, and they didn't have enough time, so they just decided to blow her up instead. And you know, that's, that's a real shame. It's and it's not a great look. And uh, you know, you're blowing up a, long, a strong female character. Uh, and I think, if memory serves, she's the first, uh, you know, big strong black female lead character in a Star Wars movie. So the optics on that are a little, little uh, not so good, and I, you know, I think I've talked about it before on the show. Solo is a movie that I've really come around on a lot over the years, but that is still a scene that to me just doesn't land quite right. 
because her sacrifice just sort of seems like, yeah, there had to be another way to do that, right? Um, but, it, you know, it is what it is, and I, I agree with Tandaway Newton. It, it is uh, unfortunate, not great. I wish they had done that better. Uh, sh shoot, I wish she had made it all the way to the third act. That could have been a lot of fun to see how that would have uh, played out with, with her and Beckett and Chewie and Han. I mean, that could have been a lot of fun. And then, you know, bringing Kira into the whole thing. Could have been really interesting. Uh, it's a shame we'll never get to really revisit that again. Or at least that character again. I mean, I suppose it is Star Wars. Like, you could conceivably bring that character back. There are ways to do such a thing in the comics, in a Disney Plus show, like the one I've been pushing for three years now, the, the Solo 2 as a Disney Plus series, exploring the underworld, the underbelly of the Star Wars galaxy. You know, huts and bounty hunters and, and crime organizations, you know, Crimson Dawn and Black Sun and the whole shebang. Sorry, turned into a pitch meeting all of a sudden there. But yeah, you know, let's... It's possible, but it seems unlikely that we'll get to revisit Val anytime soon, which is unfortunate. All right, we're going to pause for a quick break and then come back and talk about Quinlan Voss. I would like to see the baby. Jedi Master Quinlan Voss, always been one of my favorite characters, uh, particularly in the era of the expanded universe. He has a really rich, interesting history. Uh, the canon has done a lot of stuff right by him, and a lot of it is very much based on that expanded universe. Uh, for a lot of fans, their first exposure to him, particularly in canon, comes in Season 3 of Star Wars The Clone Wars, where he teams up with Obi-Wan Kenobi, and they go on the hunt for Zero the Hut, who you may remember from Season 2 has been broken out by Cad Bane. Actually, that might have been the end of Season 1. He has been broken out of, of, of uh, Republic custody, on course on by Cad Bane and a gaggle of other bounty hunters. And uh, now he's out and about. And it's time for Obi-Wan to bring him to justice. And he's going to do it with the help of Quinlan Voss, a rather unconventional Jedi. And Obi-Wan makes note of that. And we're going to talk about more about that particular episode when we get to it in the next season of our Star Wars The Clone Wars rewatch. But it, it, that's a really great take on the character. A really faithful interpretation of him. He is sort of a character that, that is, straddles the light and the dark. He is unconventional. He is sort of the Jedi's version of a secret operative in a lot of ways. And we're, we're going to talk about that a little bit more in, in, in very, very soon. Once we kind of get into his origins as a character, kind of his, where his creation came from. But yeah, as I mentioned in the opening of the show, they do, do, they do a follow-up. They had plans. The, the team behind Star Wars The Clone Wars had a plan for Season 6. You know, we know a lot of the plans. We know a lot of the stories they had. There was going to be Cad Bane versus Boba Fett. And there was going to be Quinlan Voss trying to infiltrate Dooku with the assistance of Asajj Ventress. And that ends up turning into the novel Dark Disciple. It is a story with Obi-Wan Kenobi. The Jedi Council... A little bit of spoilers for the book. So if you don't want to know this part of it, I understand. But for reasons... It's a bit of a stretch, but... The Jedi are so desperate to end the war after a just incredible act of, of wartime atrocity by Count Dooku that they authorize Quinlan Voss to assassinate Count Dooku. And that's sort of how the book starts. And they decide, with the help of Obi-Wan Kenobi, they decide that the best way to do that is, is by getting close with his former apprentice, Asajj Ventress. So that kicks off the book. And this relationship that Asajj and Voss form over the course of the novel. And then, of course, because it's Jedi stuff, you got to have light side, dark side, and all the stuff going on. Great Jedi action stuff. 
and and Quinlan because he's an unconventional Jedi doing unconventional things and going about his mission in unconventional ways and sort of again and you get to explore the 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 lore the seduction of the dark side in a very interesting way that we hadn't seen uh, to this point you know obviously we're very familiar with Anakin's fall but there's more than one way to fall to the darkness and in in Quinlan's Quinlan's fall is is very fascinating in the book spoilers again he he does go dark uh, but it's sort of like this it sort of has this weird self-deception to it where he thinks he's like a double agent when in fact he is not uh, it, it's but it's really really well done the relationship with the adventurous is, is fascinating and fantastic and and really really wonderful and then the next time we see Voss, it's, it's we don't see Voss. We were supposed to see Voss. There was there was word, there was rumors that we were going to get to see Quinlan Voss in Episode Three, Revenge of the Sith. There was going to be, uh, I, I believe, it was supposed to be a sequence on Kashyyyk, where you know Order sixty six is going to come through, and and Voss, I believe, if, if if rumor holds, was going to get gunned down by his clone troopers, like like we saw in the montage of Order sixty six being executed. We saw his apprentice, Ala Sakura get gunned down. I think she was on Seleucami. And instead, what we got was it didn't happen. It didn't pan out. Whether it was a change to have Yoda there or they didn't want Yoda and Voss there at the same time. You know, I'm not 100% certain on those details. But we get the, we get the line from Obi-Wan Kenobi when Anakin arrives to the briefing that he's late for. That, uh, that, that uh, Master Voss has moved his troops to Boss Pity. And that's, that's kind of it. But it's a nice reference. It's a nice inclusion of Quinlan Voss into the canon. And it's really the first time he's included in the canon. The story behind that is, and we'll tie it to, the, to his actual debut in just a moment, George Lucas became a big fan of the character who, who had spawned from the comic book series that Dark Horse was publishing. And he wanted to include the character. This, this is very much what happened with Ayla Secura as well. Lucas was reading these comics, and he, was, he liked several of these characters. And Quinlan Voss has such an interesting origin from how they came up with him, from what what transpired with his creation, that I, I, I'm sure Lucas was delighted by the whole process and and was was sort of in, just as enamored as the fans were with the character. What am I referring to? Quinlan Voss, his entire look is based off of a character in the background of a scene in Mos Espa in The Phantom Menace. You see him... It's a flash of a second. You see him like between Anakin and uh, Qui Gon Jinn. He's just sitting there at a table. And when writer John Ostrander and artist Jander Sema were coming up with characters for their Star Wars comic that they, that they were creating for Dark Horse, uh, they were talking about a new Jedi character. And, and Jander Sema said, I know exactly who this is going to be. They're already in The Phantom Menace. And John Ostrander was like, that's great. That's fantastic. Let's, let's go. And she sent him the sketches, and he started making the stories. And it, it all kind of comes, comes together. So you can actually see Quinlan Voss in canon in episode one for a quick second. You may wonder at this point, well, why doesn't he announce himself to Qui-Gon Jinn? Why doesn't he step forward to help his fellow Jedi? This is part of Quinlan's character. Quinlan is, is again, he's sort of like the secret agent man for the Jedi Knights. And he was on a deep undercover mission. He's there with one of his con- underworld contacts, and he could not break cover to contact Qui-Gon Jinn. And by the time he could, Qui-Gon and Anakin and Obi-Wan were already back off Tatooine on their way to Coruscant. So 
and and this is stuff that's addressed in the comics. Like, if you want to know more about why Quinlan didn't do, wasn't able to help, or didn't come to aid Qui Gon Jinn later in the story, he talks about that he has massive regrets after he learns of of um, Qui Gon's passing at the end of the at the end of of uh, Phantom Menace, and he talks about this. It's 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 explored. It's covered. It's not left unsaid, which is a really nice aspect of it. But let's go ahead and talk now about uh, more about the creation of Quinlan Voss. So let's go back in time. It's the early 90s, I want to say 1991. Star Wars comic books have not been a thing for at least four years, maybe even five. Uh, I don't remember the exact time when Marvel stopped publishing Mar- the, the Star Wars comics, but there was nothing new going on with Star Wars. It was, it was fading from people's memories. It was fading from people's minds. Uh, Dark Horse rolls around. Dark Horse is a small comic book publisher up in Oregon, and they have a, a nice reputation for publishing high-quality independent comic books. And they start getting into the licensing game, and they inquire about getting the Star Wars comic book license. No one else wants it at the time, so they pick it up. They get it, and they start making new Star Wars comic books. I lost my mind. This is when we first get Star Wars Dark Empire, a sequel to Return of the Jedi taking place five years after Jedi. Uh, Han and Leia are about to have their first kid. And a clone emperor is rising to bring the Empire back. And and he is uh, not happy about the way the, Je- the way the Republic is trying to step back up again. And he's going to squash him down. But So we're getting new Star Wars content. And Dark Horse does a really great job uh, for, for a very prolonged period of time of keeping the Star Wars comic books rolling and going and doing new things, exploring new territory, but also staying in the wheelhouse of, of, the, of the original trilogy, trying to bring new aspects to new stories. Not everything hits, not everything's great, but they do some fun stuff. And going by, by going back into Star Wars time, going back into uh, the, the, what, was, what would be called Tales of the Jedi era, you know, the old, old Republic, you know, thousands of years before Luke Skywalker and Han Solo, they, they give us some really fun new stories that aren't restricted to the canon. And then something happens with Dark Horse still has the license. They're publishing Star Wars books. You know, I, I wouldn't say that they're, they're a huge, overwhelming success outside of like the Star Wars fans who know about them and who want them. Uh, but they're doing a great job. It's a popular line. And then all of a sudden, Lucas comes out. He's like, hey, by the way, I'm making more Star Wars movies. Dark Horse must have been thrilled. You know, they, again, they have the license, they have the rights to publish the comic books, and now they're about to be able to do comic books that can operate concurrently of the prequel trilogy that he's planning to do with, with Anakin, his rise to Jedi greatness, and his fall to the Sith. And they're like, this, they, like, this must have been a huge boon to them. They, they must have been losing their minds. So they immediately launch a new Star Wars book that's going to be set in that prequel era. You know, they wait for The Phantom Menace. The Phantom Menace comes out in 99, and they're on it. They, they know they have access. They're a licensee. They get to look at some of the characters. They get to look at some of the designs, what things are going to look like, what this new era of the galaxy is going to be visually. And they're able to incorporate that into a new Star Wars comic book series that will be taking place during the prequel era. And uh, the first big arc has to do with Kaya Mundi. A Jedi that we we only see in Jedi in the Jedi Master Council chambers, uh, excuse me, the Jedi Council chambers. He's a Jedi Master at that point, but this the events of that first arc take place just prior to the Phantom Menace, and th- those are sort of like the first chinks in in the armor in in the sense that 
Dark Horse has his license, but they can't really tell too many, you know, Obi-Wan, Anakin, you know, main canon character storylines. Because obviously the the films take priority. So like whatever they they could they could tell these stories, but they might be quickly refuted. Be like, no, you can't do that with Obi-Wan and Anakin. Sorry, it's not happening. We got plans and just you, you can't go near that. So eventually John Ostrander uh, is going to take over the book. Uh, Tim Truman is writing a great arc with Asherad Het and Kaya Mundi on Tatooine involving the Tusken Raiders. It's a fantastic story called Outlander. Check it out. Ostrander is recommended by Truman to take over the book. Um, and he does. And Ostrander comes about it with a whole new perspective, which is... is and again, this is what they have been doing before. They, they were messing with the Jedi that they had known that they had access to, that they could tell other stories about, as long as it was before certain things. So they were kind of trying to dance between the raindrops, as the expression goes. Ostrander comes aboard and, and, and quickly presents the idea. It's like, listen, when we can use Obi-Wan and Anakin, like, great, let's do that. But in the meantime, like, instead of, instead of having to do this, this, this waltz around the continuity, around events of the film that may contradict something that we do, why don't we make our own Jedi? Why don't we make our own bad guys? Why don't we kind of make our own little corner of the Star Wars galaxy and populate it with Jedi that we can do whatever we want with? Because not only do we get to do whatever we want with them, but it, like, there's actual stakes. We can kill characters, and it would have resonance. You know, part of the problem of being a licensee, you can't tell the death of Obi-Wan Kenobi story. A, we already know how he dies, but B, we wouldn't believe you. Like, if you told me to show me a story where, where Obi-Wan dies during the Clone Wars, I don't believe you. <laughs> so, like, I know how Obi-Wan meets his maker. And the same thing applies to Anakin. You know, now, the Clone Wars animated series has, has, has done a nice job of, of, you know, kind of elevating the tension, but you still know the outcome. So, so Ostrander pitches this to the editors. I, I believe it's Randy Stradley at Dark Horse. And he buys in. He's like, you know what? You're right. Let's, let's give this a go. Let's see how it goes. Let's see how the fans like it. So he reaches out to his artist, Jander Sema, who's going to be coming on board doing the first arc together. And, and she loves the idea. And she, like, I said, like I mentioned before, she knows exactly who she wants this first Jedi to be. You know, Quinlan Voss. We've already seen him in The Phantom Menace in a blink-and-you-miss-it kind of moment. And then they spin the story out, creating the character, fleshing him out. And again, like I said, Quinlan Voss is very much the Jedi that we meet in The Phantom Menace. If I were to turn a critical eye towards them, they aren't the, with the exception of, of Qui-Gon, who, who himself is a, a bit of an outsider amongst the Jedi, the Jedi are not like the, the, the sort of swashbuckling uh, heroes that maybe we all thought they were prior to the prequels. You know, they were much more reserved much more conservative you know uh, they're very um, monk like you know the studying the force the will of the force a lot of these terms are thrown around and you, you understand it more it makes sense now like we're, we're all totally in in line with that that train of thought now but prior to episode one in the in the prequel movies we, we all sort of had our own ideas about what a jedi really was we didn't really know for sure we just knew they wore robes and, you know, Lucas had described them as monk-like, you know, and the Force is sort of like the, the, the boiling down of all religions into one thing. But that never really, again, you, you, you still sort of don't really know the codes, like the, what, the, what their mantras are. You know, a little bit from Yoda, you know, a little bit from Obi-Wan, but there's still a lot of, 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 you know, white material on the board, like a lot of, lot of room, to, room to roam, room to cover. 
and room to cover. Sorry, <laughs> room to cover. And and so Austria is going to play with that a little bit. So they cre- they create Voss, and then they create his his master, his Jedi master, Master Thome, and they create pa- excuse me, they create Voss's Padawan, Ayla Sakira. And they all have this very interesting, unique relationship with the Force. Uh, Master Thome is sort of like this Jedi, uh, I think they call him like Jedi Watcher. He sort of watches the Force. He watches for signs of the dark side. But he sort of has studied the dark side more than many Jedi have, which makes him an outsider. Quinlan, as a child, has come in close contact with the dark side, and it's always kind of been a part of him. Uh, He is a kafir, that is his species, and he has the ability of psychometry. Uh, which means that he can he has a, a tactile ability to place his hands on an object and and derive and absorb its memories. Uh, so he he is forced to uh, he's forced by his aunt in the comic books. This is comic books. This is not the canon of the TV show. In the comics, he is forced to place his hands on a medallion that has been been worn by his mother when his mother and father were being murdered. And so that darkness has sort of always been born into into Quinlan Voss. Master Thome decides that the child has displayed enough force ability, and it's not safe for him to stay on his home planet. I I don't want to go too much into everything that's non-canon about his time on his homeworld. Suffice to say that Quinlan Voss is one of the few Jedi Knights who is very much aware of his parents, of his homeworld, of what a sort of role was expected of him before he left for the Jedi Temple. Now, in the in the canon, again, a lot of that stuff gets pushed off the side, and, and Quinlan is referred to as a Jedi who has been raised in the Temple. They don't expand too much on that in Clone Wars cartoon or in the Dark Disciple novel. So we're, we're sort of left to infer. But Master Thome does play a part in that book. Aelis Akira does play a part in that book. And much like his comic book compa- uh, counterpart, Quinlan has been touched by the dark side in some way. So he is this character who has to wrestle with it. And while he may always think he's on the light side, he has to pause and wonder, am I really? And his actions, again, make him a bit of a Jedi outcast. In the comics, another interesting aspect of this character, and again, we see him at various stages of his development, from, pe- uh, from pre-Temple to Padawan-era, Training with Obi Wan Kenobi, to uh, to Jedi Knight, and eventually to Jedi Master. Like we get the full range of this character in the comic books. And one of the really interesting aspects of him is because he's already an outsider. When the Clone Wars break out on Geonosis, he doesn't fall in line with the rest of the Jedi and become a general and start commanding clone troopers and, and legions of clone troopers and battalions of clone troopers. He eventually gets there, but initially when the war breaks out, he decides he's going to run uh, in a, a basically like a, like a spy network. In the Confederacy of Independent Systems, he's going to have a, a chain of spies that are getting information to the Jedi, to the Republic, so they can bring the Clone Wars to an end. He is sort of like the spy master Jedi in the comic books. And it's, it's a really fascinating take for a Jedi. It's a really interesting perspective and point of view for a Jedi to have. Another interesting aspect of the character, and again, this is echoed in the Dark Disciple book, when he decides he's going to infiltrate Count Dooku. It's, he, Voss is going to bring this war to an end. He's going to infiltrate and then eventually turn, betray, and possibly kill Count Dooku, though I think he makes a lot of proclamations about arresting him and bringing him to justice. But at the time, and again, it, it, it's a great chunk of the comics where Voss 
is working for Dooku. The Jedi believe he has turned. He is he's committed uh, assassinations to ingratiate himself to Dooku. Again, he's dancing with the dark side. This is a character who is he he's a a, a mass, he's the Fred Astaire of dancing with the dark side, if you will. So it's a really fun read. Uh, a different way to be seduced by the dark side than, than some of the stuff we'd read uh, in expanded universe novels or what we were expecting to see from Anakin's fall during the course of episode three and the seductions along the way in episode two. You, you know what I'm talking about. So it, it's really, really wonderful. Wonderful. What also happens is that he, again, we know at this point for the fans, we know the code. You can't be with anyone. You're a Jedi. You're a Jedi. And that's it. You sort of like have this like ab- code of abstinence. Like you're not going to be married and having kids and 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 you know living that life. That's not for you. Well, in the comic books, Quinlan has a relationship. He falls in love with one of his one of his spies, basically this this uh, this character named Kayleen. And at the end of the Clone Wars, they run off together. They have a son. It's it's a whole thing. It's wonderful because you spend so much time with Quinlan. You're so happy that he's avoided Order sixty six. Now, as I said in the comic books, because based on the original screenplay. Voss is on Kashyyyk. That's where the clone troopers turn on him. In the in canon, it's very different. Voss does come around to com- 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 commanding clone troopers, uh, but he's on Boz Pity. And we don't know his final fate until recently. Until recently. Last year, I believe it was issue 7, Charles Soule's Darth Vader comic book, one of the Inquisitors presents a list of Jedi that they are still looking for. This is set... You know, I believe it's set around the time of, of right after New Hope. There's a list. It's in Orabesh. The third name down, translated from Orabesh, Quinlan Voss. So in theory, Voss is still alive in canon, as well as in the expanded universe. Now, again, I'm going to spoil the Dark Disciple novel. He also falls in love, but this time it's with Asajj Ventress, who sacrifices her life to save him and bring him back to the light side. And, and stop Dooku from killing him and, and getting him back with the Jedi. It's, that book's more about Ventress than it is Voss, but their relationship is so fantastic and fabulous that I do highly, highly recommend it, even though I just told you how it ends. But I suspect you know how it ends. <laughs> and Ventress is a great character, too, and she will be spotlighted in an upcoming episode as well because she has an interesting duality between uh, the Tartakovsky Clone Wars show in which she debuted the Clone Wars comic books that Dark Horse was publishing, like we're just talking about, and the Clone Wars series that that Dave Filoni and George Lucas created. So Ventress is another character who has like this sort of um, um, multifaceted existence. That'll be fun, fun, really fun to explore. So I, I Voss. Let's get back to Voss though. Voss is a Jedi that I really dig. A lot of his exploits in the comic books are a little hard to come by right now, unfortunately. You can find some collections on Comixology if you want to go digital. Uh, but if you are a bit of more of a scoundrel and you want to read your comic books via um, unscrupulous sources, by all means, check out the appropriate websites. I'm assuming you have them if you are the uh, rapscallion that you claim to be. And uh, go check them out. They're the, the series from Dark Horse. You can read the whole book, the whole series. I believe it started in, in late 98. Uh, it's just called Star Wars. Kai Adamundi's on the first cover. And uh, Voss is introduced, I think, in issue 16 or 17. Uh, and you'll start to go on the journey with him. And again, there's there's a lot of um, inner slicing 
with our other characters, Anakin and Obi-Wan and Rex, you know, well, maybe not Rex, but other clone commander, clone troopers of importance, uh, weave their way through the series. And, and I think you will have a really good time exploring Quinlan Voss in the old expanded universe, what's now dubbed as the Legends canon. So much fun, such a unique character. Again, the way he dances with the light and the dark, uh, the his sort of relentlessness when it comes to what he believes is right, when he, even though it may be taking him into the dark. Uh, fascinating, fascinating stuff. And again, his, his Jedi Master, Master Thome, is very, very interesting. His lightsaber teacher, Sora Bulk, fantastic character. His apprentice, Ayla Sakura, we've talked a little bit about her in the past. She's fantastic. The, the, the woman he will, he will break his Jedi code for, Kayleen, fantastic. Highly recommend the, the going back into the Legends. I don't know how much appeal Legends has to Star Wars fans now. I feel like sometimes you see that Legends banner, you're like, ah, it doesn't count anymore, so I don't care. You're missing out on some really great Star Wars stuff, if that's your, if that's your point of view. And as Obi-Wan has told us, from a certain point of view, I like to think you're wrong. <laughs> Give these a try. Dip your toe into these waters. John Ostrander is a phenomenal comic book writer. He's been writing comic books for, God, almost 30-plus years, right, at this point. He's le- he's legitimately fantastic. Uh, he created the Suicide Squad. He created uh, the best version of DC's The Spectre character. He's written insane comic books over the years, Grimjack, and, and so many, many more. And his Star Wars work is phenomenal. After this, he and Jan Dersema, the, uh, the artist he would most commonly be linked with in the Star Wars run, would go on to create Star Wars Legacy, which was the one that was set like 100 or 200 years in the future with descendants of Skywalker. And that's a fantastic book because they created Imperial Knights, Jedis who work for the Empire. The Empire is not quite the same as you remember it, so it's a little, it makes a little bit more sense when you read the book. But it was like one of the most fantastic concepts that anyone had ever thought of for Star Wars. And the book is gorgeous because as, good a, as great a writer as John Ostrander is, Jander Sema is phenomenal. She is a comic book legend who uh, probably doesn't rightly get as much credit as she deserves for being one of the most fantastic female artists in a very male-driven industry. So, so check out her art. Support her art. She's got a, like, a, like a fun little fan Patreon page going on where you gain access to all the amazing sketches that she does. And uh, her and Ostrander are working on some new comic books they're putting out together on on um um what's that what's that what's that Kickstarter Kickstarter, yeah they're doing some books on Kickstarter in Indiegogo. So check out their stuff. But their Star Wars work is phenomenal, phenomenal. Maybe it doesn't all count to canon anymore, but as we have talked about, as we have seen, some elements of Legends, of what's what that what has that gold Legends banner on it is making its way into the proper canon now. Is Quinlan Voss going to be one of those Jedis who makes the jump? We'll see. We will see. Obviously, like the Kayleen stuff will probably be housed because the Ventress relationship is canon. But still, Voss is still Voss. That's the neat part about this character, in my estimation. Like The version that we get of him in Star Wars The Clone Wars and in Dark Disciple is still very much the character that we have in the Star Wars comic book. The Star Wars Republic comic book, I believe, is the, was the banner title. Star Wars Republic. And it, it chronicling the, the Clone Wars. There's not a lot of difference between the two characters. Again, you don't get a lot of his backstory that you get in the, in, in the old Legends canon. The old, I, I should not say Legends and canon in the same. That should not be connected. Discard, disregard that. But in the old Legends universe stuff, 
you had a lot more background there. Really rich history for the character. I, I am curious if some of that might be imported over at some point, if we do get to follow up with Quinlan Voss at some point soon. Again, very fairly recently you know, made aware that he is alive in the, in the current new canon of the comic books. And they're bringing back Kira, right? We're, gonna, we're seeing crazy Kira stuff going on. Why not see some stuff with Quinlan Voss in the very, very near future? And I think that's all I have to say about that. I hope I sort of kind of ruined Dark Disciple. <laughs> but again, read it. It's good. It's a really fun book. And you kind of know where it's going anyways. But it's a great worry. It's a great read. It's a great journey. It's a great uh, 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 closing point for the Ventress character. And again, we will talk about more about Ventress in another episode. But it's a great book for Voss, Voss as well. And by all means, if you can find the Star Wars Republic books uh, by John Ostrander, Jander Sema, and uh, they're, they're phenomenal. They are fantastic. They were so entertain- entertaining, uh, so well-written, so amazingly drawn. Like the, the, the art's just gorgeous. The art, the coloring, the page layout, these are dynamic comic books, and they got to do these really fun stories. Like I didn't even talk about some of the supporting cast characters that, we did, that were non-Jedis that are in this book. Uh, they are, it's, it's a really rich universe, and, and uh, Ostrander and Jacema get so much credit for making a really rich comic book universe, and one with stakes, because they made these new characters. And Lucas picked up on that and brought them over into the canon. Quinlan Voss and Ayla Secura made the jump from the comic books to the big screen. I don't, I don't think you get a higher compliment than that. that. That's something you created for a comic book because you, you didn't have the ability to use Obi-Wan and Anakin uh, in, in a meaningful way. So you create new whole cloth characters and they make that transition. They become fan favorites. And, they're, and, and Lucas is like, yeah, they're great. Bring them over. Which, you know, again, it, it's, it's comparing apples and oranges. But the people who control Star Trek, do you think they're sitting around reading all the Star Trek comics and the Star Trek novels? How exciting is it to think that George Lucas stopped, sat down, and read your Star Wars comic book and liked what you did so much that he's like, yeah, that character's coming over here. And that's a really rad compliment. And, you know, I hope, I hope one day, fingers crossed, because I would love, I, and I will make the effort. I am going to make the effort. I'm going to put myself out there. I would love John Ostrander or Jan Dersemer to come on this podcast and talk about this whole time because it would be phenomenal. And I think everyone would love that Would love that interview. So I am going to try my hardest to make that happen sometime sometime in this year. I'll be, I'll be honest, my year gets very, very busy in September. <laughs> but I am going to try so hard. I want interviews to start happening on this podcast, and we're going to do our best to make it happen. With that being said, I want to thank everyone so much for taking the time to download, listen, subscribe, and share the show with all the other Mandalorians in your covert. It means the world to me. Whether you have been listening since day one or this is the, your first time, welcome to MandoVision. Nargai Tom, please, please, please follow us on social media. It's at Mando underscore Vision on Twitter and Instagram. Email the show, MandoVisionTom at gmail.com. I probably should have mentioned, I think we even have a Facebook page going right now. Head over there, give us a like. Those are always appreciated. We, we, we That would mean the world to me because I think Facebook's useless. But if you're on it, click like, and I'm going to make sure there's content on there. So do it. Do it, do it, do it. 
Is that enough? Is that was that too thirsty? Was I too thirsty on that one? Anyways, I so much appreciate your support for this small independent Star Wars podcast. It means the world to me. And we will be back very very soon because Star Wars Clone Wars rewatch Monday. It's only two days away. Three days away. Three days away. I don't know. Whatever. You, it's a podcast. You listen to it whenever you want. I put it out on Monday, but you don't have to listen to it Monday. You can listen to it Wednesday. It's up to you. You're the boss. <laughs> All right. Let's get out of here. I'm getting silly. I'm just living high off that Quinlan Voss life. I mean, there's an episode. Uh, there's, there's some issues of the comics where Quinlan and Ayla get they get all like they get all uh, uh, super high on on the Ryle spice, and they lose their memories, and the whole thing happens. It's crazy. It's crazy. Go check that out, all right? Good, good stuff. I will be back soon. You know I will. In the meantime, y'all stay safe, stay smart, be good people, be good to each other, be good Star Wars fans, and get more Star Wars fans to check out uh, Star Wars. <laughs> Whether it's a comic book, a movie, cartoon, TV show, video game. By the way, that new Star Wars uh, Lego video game, woo, looks pretty good. Pretty good. But yeah, always bring more fans to the fold. That's what we like to do here. Spread the word. Star Wars is the best. I will talk to you all very, very soon. But <laughs> this podcast can only end one way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. <laughs>